0: Hey Richard Gottlieb, Chris Byrne, how you doing? I'm doing great Chris
1: and one of the reasons is we got a great guest on today.
0: We do and this is the Playground Podcast with me Chris Byrne, my cohort and co-host Richard Gottlieb. We are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the toy guy and marketing and media agency Chiscom. and Richard, introduce our guest. Yes, it's Greg Stein, a really
1: nice guy. If you ever get a chance to meet him, any of you folks out there, take the chance. He's a professional drummer who somehow found his way into the toy industry, and he is the CEO of Scoog, which is a brand new creative play platform, and they have just recently done a deal with Sesame Street.
0: Greg, welcome. Let's start out by telling us a little bit about you, how you got from from music to toys. Not that it's a huge leap, but, but tell us a little bit about your career and then tell us a little bit about what Skoog is
2: first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. I'm, I'm super excited to be with you guys. You guys are a lot of fun already, I'll tell you. Look, I'm just a drummer, man. Uh, I've been playing, you know, and I, I'm sure there's some really good jokes in there too, but I'm just a drummer. I've been playing drums since I was a little kid. Uh, I ended up playing professionally when I was 14. You know, I studied at Manhattan School of Music while I was still in high school, which was pretty crazy, and then came up to the Boston area where I studied at Berklee College of Music, studied drum set performance, and also business. And I kind of fuse these two worlds of, of business and creativity around entrepreneurship, really. And over the next several years, I worked for a series of Musical instrument manufacturers, I played professionally as a drummer, of course, but also, you know, worked for all these pro audio companies, musical instrument manufacturers, had this great career starting at the Zildjian Company, the oldest continuously-owned family-run business in the United States, and uh, making cymbals and drumsticks, and uh, that morphed into, I joined a company called Numark and Alesis, uh, which ended up becoming uh, in-music brands, one of the largest DJ companies in the world by a factor of two at the time, and on and on it went. It got further and further from this music world into the world of technology. I ended up becoming CEO of a company called a wireless speaker company out of Denmark called Libratone, for example. And uh, I joined a company uh, out of London called Roly, and then it went on from there to this company that was a really amazing ed tech company, which was my first foray into the real toy world. Uh, although I wouldn't call that a toy; I call that an ed tech, uh, you know, product, but. Uh, nonetheless, uh, this company called Cano Computing, where you make a computer and learn to code, and did this partnership with Warner Brothers to develop the Harry Potter coding kit and all of these other amazing products. About six months ago, I was asked by Scoog to to join the company there was a partnership the founders of the company two lovely guys Ben and David they uh, had developed a partnership with Sesame Workshop to create this new platform between Scoog and Sesame and it's really an open platform geared towards enriching lives through creative play Scoog today is this new product that really it's solving this really unique problem right now so many people Uh, specifically kids that are tethered to screens and they need a content driven screen independent offline experience. So what we're really doing is leading the shift from passive consumption to active engagement around creative play with our new Cube platform. Before you go on, Greg,
1: anyone who wants to find it online, what is the web address?
2: So it's a a new web address called Skoog, S-K-O-O-G, dot media. Could you lay out for folks what Skoog is? So basically, it's this little cube with soft, removable, squishy buttons. Those soft buttons ignite a special kind of magic. Basically, they're they're RFID-enabled buttons that create personal play patterns, and those those buttons unlock a world of content. When you take those buttons, we call them wonder dots by the way, when you add a wonder dot to this little cube, all of a sudden you have so much more than just, you know, a speaker or an audiobook player, right, which is a hot category right now. What you have is the ability for kids to interact with their favorite characters, starting with Sesame Street characters and we have many other uh, licenses and other things coming as well. Play along songs, music, creation, stories, games, puzzles, instruments, more. There's really a, a wide variety of different play experiences. Now, all of this is controlled by a, a parental you know controlled app, whereby the parent has the ability to acquire more content through downloads or subscriptions, giving this kind of unlimited expansive level of creativity for children's play
1: Can you describe one play pattern
2: stories for example instead of it just being a static story that you listen to it's the kind of thing where the buttons around the buttons there are actually led lights they light up and allow you so when you hear elmo for example he's going to ask you a question you'll push the button and you'll have an interactive story with elmo
0: You alluded to this earlier, but one of the categories that really is on fire right now for kids is audio and really as a way, as a method of engagement. How do you find that kids are engaging with this differently than they might engage with a screen because it's oral, A-U, rather than primarily visual? And are you finding that this is immersive play? Because that's another thing parents are really concerned about at the moment.
2: There's a combination of things going on here, right? So, if in the screen world, you're just constantly consuming. But in this case, where you have a tactile experience, we have an accelerometer built into the product. So you have an element of motion, you have the element of the interactivity of being able to respond to some of the content that's being played at you. And you're part of the story rather than just listening to the story. Instead of just giving a child something that reads them a story that's almost like a replacement for a parent, let's give them something where there's a a parent and a child interaction that's, that's magical. But, you know, the parent isn't necessarily required, but definitely encouraged.
1: Is this your company's first
2: product? No, actually. The company's first product was uh, the original Skoog 2.0. Uh, this product is carried in uh, all Apple stores. There was a follow-on product called the Squitch, both very successful products in really allowing kids and parents to make music. It was really more around music creation and very, very Special in the world of accessibility and allowing education and folks in special education to make music in ways that they never thought imaginable before. Uh, So we took that DNA and put it into this new Scoog Cube product that we're talking about, this new platform, which is our first mass market oriented product uh, or or more toy product that will be coming out later this year.
0: When I dug into the original Skoog, it looked like it had educational applications for home, for school, and I was really excited to see things like special education and and uses for that. How much of that has been translated into the experiential play that kids are going to have with the mass market version?
2: Well, I think quite a quite a bit, actually. I think that's what Sesame reacted to. Uh, We know that that's what Apple uh, reacted to. And basically taking this level, those squishy buttons are actually, you know, coming out of years of of development uh, experience and taking that and putting that into a play pattern that actually fits into the world of everyday play. scalable. By adding these buttons or Wonder Dots, as we call them, they continue to unlock more content.
0: I'm curious about the license, the Sesame Street license. And it looks like from the pictures I've seen that the only place we see the license is on the Wonder Dots. So does that mean that the the Scoog can be adapted for other licenses simply by changing the Wonder Dots and the RFID content?
2: Absolutely, yeah. In fact, we have a series of, of additional partnerships that will be coming to light. Sesame has been a key partner in helping us develop the platform and will continue to play a role as we continue to build the platform.
1: What is the suggested retail for the product? Uh, $99. And when we buy it, uh, I assume we get access to a lot of content that's downloadable.
2: Yeah, so basically the way that it works is you purchase the, the Skoog uh, platform, uh, the Cube. The buttons will be sold separately. You do get uh, a handful of buttons in the initial pack. I think there's four Uh, And then there will be uh, Magic Buttons will be sold separately at $9.99. Multi-packs will be available. So there'll be, you know, two or three uh, in a pack. um, And those will be available for $19.99. And then the rest is all through the digital downloads uh, at $4.99 with an annual subscriptions as well available. So you have unlimited content as well.
1: And currently, where can somebody find the product?
2: The new model will be out later this year and it'll be available at at most major retailers.
0: So So, I'm curious about the strategy that said, okay, here we're making this really cool lifestyle product and we're doing well at it. Let's enter the toy industry because that's so easy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, how, how did you? How did that part come around?
2: Partly because of the conversations and development with, with Sesame and Sesame Workshop, but I think partly because we have something that's really special and unique in the world of creativity and enabling kids to create. So uh, while that pertains to music and music creation, we see a much bigger game to allow children to interact with a broader realm of content. So when we... Took that, put it together with Sesame, you know, took that, put it together with uh, kind of our market opportunity. Yeah, it just made sense. You know, as I sit here, I'm I'm wondering to
1: myself, is this a um, computer accessory in a sense? And it belongs with the better digital equipment or does it go in the toy aisle? I think it's going to be real interesting to, to see where retailers decide to merchandise the product.
2: To be honest, I think it ends up being both because on one hand, you have that very youthful, you know, look, let's say we start with Sesame Street. You come in and, and you know, that's a, that's a young child. But as they grow older, they may be using this with an Apple TV as a controller. So I could see this as it ages up living in different areas.
0: Yeah, I think it
2: speaks, Chris, to where the toy industry is going.
0: We have a lot more integration of technology and play, which is what I always think is great because these kids live in a world where the microwave talks to them. So it's technology is like the air to them. So they are used to interacting with technology from a very young age. Greg, how do you think that more technology in children's worlds has encouraged or changed their exploratory learning?
2: Wow, that's a, that's a really good question. I can reference all sorts of things, but I think there's nothing better than referencing what I see every day with, with my young kids. On one hand, screen time has become something that is somewhat of a, a negative because it's really stretching the mind and, and all of this there's a negative side but then there's a positive side the amount of engagement that you know my children have had with i've had experiences where my daughter's come down and she says oh my goodness you know look at this i created a, a um a google slides presentation today and i'm like wait what what's happening right like it's amazing you know kids are completely able to communicate virtually Right, They're able to basically operate as adults in their communication, but you know what they need? They need more creative and immersive play, the ability to stretch that creative muscle more. And I think that's where technology can actually be more helpful. And I don't think it really has been yet. This is where I I go back to that, you know, leading that shift from passive consumption to active engagement. That's what we strive to do. And I think there's a lot of other areas where that's, that's possible as well.
1: When we ask children to take on a new play platform, that does not involve a screen, but yet does involve advanced technology. Is it a challenge for children in terms of making that break from the visual or do, do they seem to grasp this intuitively?
2: So often I hear folks talk about the separation from the screen as if it's like a war against the screen. (laughs) And I don't think we're ever going to win that war, my friends. I, I just don't think that's possible. I think screens are here. They're here to stay. I think the difference is if we can create an offline experience, to your point, that's fun. Right, that's engaging, that when they do go back to the screen, that there's kind of a seamless nature of it all, right? It, it flows as part of an ecosystem that they live in, but I don't think we're gonna create new play patterns that get them off the screens forever. I just, I don't see that as being something that's possible at this stage.
0: We all know that this is a highly competitive market out there, and especially at this time, it's really hard for a new concept and a new product to break through. What's your marketing strategy for getting this out there? How are you gonna let people know about this?
2: Well, we have an amazing chief marketing officer. Uh, Her name is uh, Anouk. She was a co-founder at a company called Ozobot. Um, I know, Anouk. You do? She's amazing. (laughs) Yes, great. Do great, and um, you know we're working closely together on exactly how this is all going to play out. But I'm going to tell you something right now. You know, I, I've spent my career competing with some of the largest companies on the planet and establishing new categories of products. Together with Anouk and the rest of the, the Skoog team, I think we're positioned to be able to come out and establish not only this product and put it on a shelf somewhere, but establish this platform with children, parents, retailers, distributors alike to be able to say, okay, this is not just a new toy. This is a new way of play. And that's, that's what we aim to do.
0: So we're going to ask you the question that we've been asking all of our guests here on the Playground Podcast. We want you to tell us a secret.
2: So, something I learned when I got involved in Scoob. The original Scoog, you know, is really geared towards accessibility and all that. We talked about that. But the thing is, is that there's this, this gentleman, his name is Tim Cook, who actually came And, you know, found the Skoog product and really, you know, has been an ambassador for making sure that Skoog is in all Apple stores, really, because it's one of the very, very few things that delivers accessibility in music, music creation, et cetera. which obviously, you know, uh, music and music creation is very close to the DNA of Apple.
0: I wouldn't keep that a secret. That's a great story. That's a great story. Greg Stein, thank you so much for spending the time with us. I was always told when I was in uh, the conservatory, find something to fall back on. You certainly have done that. And uh, it's really exciting to talk to you and learn about this. And we can't wait for Skoog to hit the market. Thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you for the opportunity.
0: This is the Playground Podcast, and we'll be right back with the end cap. And now we come to the part of the show that we call the end cap where Richard and I toss about some ideas that are top of mind in the toy industry. And Richard, Toys R Us is gone again. And again and again,
1: I have never seen anything like the continuous reincarnation of Toys R Us. And Frankly, the way they're talking, I don't think this is the end. Uh, I think we can expect them back again. And there's no plans to shut down uh, the ToysRUs.com portal to Amazon. So there is still a little life left there. I think there's a a bigger issue this speaks to, Chris, and, and that is something we we've touched on before, but that is just the absence of any major retailer. Who is taking a, a major position on toys? And I'm sorry, Target and Walmart—they try hard, but those are toy departments, and it's just not the same.
0: And you're talking about a brick-and-mortar destination where people can go for that in-store experience that was so much a part of the Toys R Us experience. And and what Joe Hall from Toys R Us Hong Kong told us was still a big part of shopping in Hong Kong.
1: Well, it, it's still a big part of shopping everywhere. Uh, In the UK, they they have The Entertainer and they have Smiths. And these are very dynamic, successful uh, toy chains. And so there is absolutely no reason there cannot be an effective bricks and mortar toy chain in the United States. We're, We're not that different from any other country in the world. The question becomes who, when, where. There is an enormous opportunity, and it's really... Kind of surprising to me that a mastermind in Canada, Smiths, or or the entertainer in the UK, has not come into the US and taken this opportunity to at least establish some kind of a beachhead.
0: As always, it's a financial decision. They have to deliver so much revenue per square foot of space. And it's not like Toys R Us was back when it first started, which was a Toy Supermarket. That's what Charles Lazarus' original concept was, and that they had the least expensive discount diapers in the city, so you would always have to go to Toys R Us to get your diapers if you had a little one, and you'd have to go all the way to the back of the store to get them, and it was just a whole... Destination for kids. So, building the infrastructure, however, to create that kind of a toy store that's revenue producing that can compete with a Walmart or an Amazon on price, that's a pretty daunting prospect as much as we seem to need that experience.
1: Well, the question becomes do they have to engage in price competition on every single product in the store? (laughs) Can they provide What a Walmart and a Target cannot provide, and that is an ambient experience, a family experience, an exploring experience, a surprise experience, a delight experience, all those things that come in a really great toy store that you know that when you enter that store, every time you turn the corner, you're going to see something you didn't expect to see. And, and that's a marvelous experience. And I will grant you here in the United States, price is very much a challenge. But I will also tell you that I think Toys R Us failed as merchants. Their stores were not clean. They got way too much into competing on the terribly advertised toys. Uh, and they, they lost, I think, their love of toys. Uh, And they became really a a commodity retailer. And then on top of that, you put on way too much debt and the the company collapsed. But it can succeed. Toys R Us is highly successful in China. right? And I think what's a shame about Toys R Us nameplate at this time is that it's it's kind of rusting because it's not being used effectively.
0: I agree. And we saw that happen with KB after KB was gone from the market for... A couple of years people came back and we tend to forget that name durability in the toy industry is not like commodity products like tide or cascade or things you're going to use throughout your entire life you have (laughs) a fairly short window in which you are a parent buying toys so if you can get them and you can fulfill that child's need you're not really going to be that loyal to a brand like a like a toys r us unless the experience of going to that store is vital to your life.
1: Well, I, I think these are very interesting times uh, coming up. There's going to be an awful lot of empty real estate, commercial real estate out there. I think there's going to be a lot of really good deals to be had if you were looking for off, for store space. And I would just encourage anyone out there who's ever wanted to be in the toy business on the retail side, <laughs> now's,
0: now's your opportunity. But if you're going to do it, go big. Go real big. So in addition to all the retail space that's going to be available, there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand for people to get out and do something with their kids and have a regular destination. And there hasn't been a model that's worked yet in the U.S. in a scalable way, but you do look at Mastermind. You do look at Toys R Us China, and they have become part of their cultures not just as a retailer but as a destination so i do think that that that's where the opportunity is and somebody's got to figure out how to establish it in the u.s and then scale it up and be profitable amen and i don't think that's going to be us but i do think there's somebody out there who could really make a go of it and we certainly appreciate your listening in on our conversation This is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. And we are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the toy guy, and marketing and media agency, Chiscom.
1: We'll see you next time.